every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Dimension Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Dylan Steele, CMO of Coalition, the leading provider of cyber insurance and security, combining comprehensive insurance and proactive cybersecurity tools to help manage and mitigate cyber risk. Dylan is an accomplished marketing executive with experience leading marketing efforts for high growth technology companies. On this episode, Dylan shares his insights into the benefits of data-driven B2B, why sales enablement matters, and why mapping the customer journey is important. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Dylan Steele and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest. Dylan, how are you? Great. Good to be with you, Ian. Glad to connect again. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Excited to have you on this show. We've chatted with you on other podcasts in the past and really excited to be talking about coalition, talk about demand gen, talk about marketing, your background and everything in between. So let's get started. What was your first job in demand? My first job in demand? Well, I think my first true marketing job was at Salesforce as a product marketer, where I helped position the Salesforce platform and the ability to develop apps with low code. Now low code is everywhere. But you think like, you think it's hard to create demand with customers. Imagine doing the work to try to create a new category and get low code app development on the radars of the Gartners and Foresters of the world. Um, perhaps though, I'll go back even further and say my tr- first true demand gen job was working for a small political campaign in Colorado where I grew up for county commissioner. And people say service jobs are great ones for learning, interacting with people. But I'll tell you what's even harder and gives you a lot even more empathy is going door to door around your neighborhood and meeting your neighbors, trying to convince them to learn more about your candidate, care about your candidate, and leave preconceived notions behind. So a lot of learning from that first demand gen experience and a lot of miles walked through the neighborhoods of Jefferson County, Colorado. Let's get into our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where we can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. What is Coalition? What does the company do? Yeah, so Coalition, first let's start with the problem that I think a lot of companies experience, and then we'll talk about how Coalition solves it. I think today, it's no surprise if you look at the headlines, you see the amount of organizations that are facing cyber risk and potential cyber attacks. And there's just many different types of cyber risks, cyber attacks. Uh, That can come from anything from spear phishing to ransomware, but funds transfer fraud and other technical risks that you might not traditionally associate with the cyber sphere. And 
What we found is there are a lot of organizations who are just simply falling through the cracks of the traditional cybersecurity industry. And small businesses and medium-sized organizations, for example, who can't afford to buy an expensive cybersecurity tool and may not have an in-house CISO, even a cybersecurity expert, sometimes not even someone running IT, it's outsourced for them. So what options do they have to protect themselves? Well, they can try to find someone to part-time help them. They can try to implement a more expensive tool. They can try to find third-party help. But often what we see is they don't get any help and they don't take action and they're left quite vulnerable. And we actually find that there's a lot of small companies that are now are now on the receiving end of cyber security attacks. And so Coalition came up with a really interesting idea, which is to, to help small businesses, you not only need to give them a little bit of technical help, but you actually have to align the incentives, the financial incentives and the business incentives to help protect an organization. So Coalition combined cybersecurity tooling and support with insurance. And what we do is we offer folks what we call an active insurance policy. And with active insurance, you get the protection of traditional insurance so we can help you make you financially whole if you suffer a, a catastrophic event that can threaten your business. But we also offer support from the beginning before a cyber attack through a potential issue all the way to, to post-attack to hopefully help prevent an issue before it occurs, to help you manage your risk, close potential loopholes and potential threat vectors, and then offer you incident response and support if an attack does occur to get a company back up and running. And so I think kind of a novel approach through active insurance to help manage, transfer, and mitigate risk for really small and medium businesses, for example, like yourself, who probably doesn't manage a physical office and worried about fire and flood, but has the majority of their IP stored in digital systems. And so how many customers do you all have? What is the size of the organizations that you all are talking to? It seems like there could be a, a pretty big group there. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a large customer base and it, it's continuing to grow. We have a, over 140,000 customers and there are different types of customers that we have. Some are policyholders, some access some of our expertise and software tools on their own. So like any business can go to control.coalitioninc.com and get a free risk assessment and just understand, get a picture of their existing cyber risk and use that as a tool to perhaps get some tips on how to remediate some of those risks. So we, we have 140,000 customers, mostly mid and small businesses, but we will write policies to businesses up to a billion dollars in, in revenue. And, you know, when we think about, we have a really unique motion and this is where I'll say we don't have to follow the demand gen framework one-to-one -one for myself and a lot of your listeners who probably come from a variety of industries, but we actually go to market through trusted partners, which are brokers. And businesses go to brokers to purchase a range of risk transfer and risk protection. So our goal is to help brokers understand the value of active insurance, the need for cyber insurance, and help bring that to policyholders all over the U.S. Right now we're in the U.S. and Canada, expanding to the U.K. soon. So we have a couple different motions through the brokers and, and also direct to potential small businesses with cyber risk assessments, et cetera. One of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show, I went to coalitioning.com and I did a assessment back on March 8th when we last spoke. And no big deal, zero critical vulnerabilities for Caspian Studios. But it was an extremely cool process. And, and as a marketer, my ears were perked way up because I thought it was, it was such a, a cool value add. And just in the past couple of days, we've a bunch of different spear phishing type stuff happen. And I think I told you that we're doing this crazy cybersecurity podcast. It's a, this fictional series that we're doing called the Hacker Chronicles with our partner. 
and it's been this like really fun journey. And so I've, we've been in the world of cybersecurity a ton. And I was thinking about you and I was thinking about this idea of like, this is what you want as a small business. You just want to be like, can you just take a look real quick? Tell me where I'm at and then show me a couple solutions of like what is possible. And I don't know what a broker is, you know, as a small business owner, I don't know how to go to brokers. There's all that sort of stuff. So I'm so curious how you think about going to market when you have this business owner out there in the wild who might know they have a problem, they might not have a problem, might not understand the space at all or cybersecurity in general or the landscape. First of all, thank you for going and taking a risk assessment and congratulations on not having any critical issues at the moment. And now, part of what's so interesting and so challenging about cyber and cyber risk is that it's constantly evolving. It's changing all the time. And so an assessment at any one point in time is is great. But the idea that you can assess and then monitor is actually even more important. And this is where our world diverges significantly from more traditional insurers. When you think about just like insurance, which has been around for hundreds of years and was like originally created to protect ships at sea and distribute the risk and transfer the risk around should something happen to those ships, they, they're they traditionally designed to take a look at historical risk and then try to make some assumption of your current risk and future risk. So they look and say, say like, what's the likelihood that you're going to have a flood in your area based on 100 years of data, 50 years of data, project that forward into the future. Cyber risk is just changing too quickly. There are new threat vectors popping up all the time. Sometimes it's because of something you did. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. It can be your whole technology supply chain that's evolving and changing. And so what's really unique about Coalition is not just our ability to, to help people with cyber tools, but behind the scenes, there's really interesting technology that's scanning the public web, scanning open ports to actually get a picture of your live risk. And we use that to do all kinds of interesting things. Underwrite you if you want an insurance policy through a broker who are amazing trusted partners. Help you monitor and assess your risk. If we see something that looks suspicious or we know you're running a certain operating system and there's a new vulnerability, we'll actually email and alert you as a business owner or uh, as well as your broker to help you close that. And again, that's that whole incentive alignment, which is we aren't just selling software and saying, good luck, hope you implement it. We're actually selling you an insurance policy. We would prefer that you not have a cyber incident and get hacked. I suspect most people are would hope that the same is true for them. So now our incentives are aligned. And so when you buy an active insurance policy, you actually are safer. And the data backs that up. When we look at the industry average, coalition policy holder had 70% fewer claims than the industry average for cyber policies all up. And that just goes to show you if we can assess your risk, but then we can actively monitor and respond to that risk before something bad occurs, we can actually make companies safer and incent them to close their security loopholes. So that's just a little bit on the product. We think about the go-to-market motion and we talk a little bit about brokers. I mean, yes, brokers essentially have been the stewards of risk management and risk transfer. So they're great partners for us. Helping them reimagine their role is also a key part of what we do at, at Coalition. Imagine your job always being, hey, I'm here when something bad happens and thinking about how to help a customer respond to risk. And suddenly we're saying, hang on, with active insurance, you can actually help prevent risk at your customers. Like this is a reimagine of your role from just reactive to proactive. So that's been a fun journey to go on with our brokers to help them rethink their role in helping not just respond to risk, but actually identify spot and prevent it before something bad occurs. So I'm curious, from a marketing strategy perspective, you have a lot of SMBs 
And like you said, companies up to a billion dollars. How do you think about going to market to those different types of organizations? Is there a different approach? What's that GTM look like? Our GTM strategy is a little bit different because it's a channel strategy via brokers. We think about becoming trusted partners for those brokers and doing what we can to help them learn cyber. And again, they helping them understand the, the cyber sphere. Sometimes it's helping take complex concepts and making them digestible. It's also helping them bring the idea of cyber insurance to their policyholders by helping them understand their risk. So in addition to the coalition control, which anyone can access as a business owner, we also put a coalition risk assessment in the hands of our brokers that they can bring to potential businesses to understand their risk. A lot of our engagement happens with brokers in the channels where they engage regularly. We engage with them via email. A lot of work happens via email. It's a very in-person business. Someone once referred to it as steaks and handshakes to me. So a lot of deals <laughs> happen while you're eating those steaks and, and doing those handshakes. So we spend time getting in front of brokers, getting to know them. We've got a, a great sales team, both inside sales and BD team. And they work to help those brokers get onboarded, help them understand the, the process and the challenges, help them explain the cyber insurance and its value to potential small businesses and, and nurture them through the experience. Now, that being said, we end up developing a relationship with the policyholders as well, not so much on the sales side, but more to help them make sure they're closing those security loopholes, they're hearing from us, they understand that our role is to help not just sell them a, a, an insurance policy, but actually keep them protected. You can come in to coalition either through coalition control if you're a policyholder, or it may be through a broker introduction. When your policy gets activated, we reach out and we, we begin to build a relationship that way. So a little bit of a different model in traditional SaaS as we go through a primarily channel-focused business. Yeah. So I'm curious, did you have experience with that type of channel first approach before you came into this? As coming into CMO, how did you approach coming into the role? It's been a, a, a really interesting journey for me and one I've actually enjoyed. I, I've spent the last 15 years primarily focused on kind of B2B sales. So I spent some time at Salesforce and then at Splunk, both selling enterprise software and at Visa before that. So it was, it was a shift. It was actually a shift I was looking for. You know, I'm an anthropologist by training with an MBA after the fact. So I enjoy the challenge of, hey, here's a new audience. Here's a new market. How do we understand what the broker's needs are? How do we spend time with them to do the, the, the first party research so that we understand where they find challenges, where they see opportunities, what they care about? So a lot of my early time joining Coalition was, was spending a little time getting to understand the needs of the brokers, how that interaction happens between them and the policyholders, where they see value, and what channels can can be most effective to us. So it's been a bit of, bit of fun. And I always say, you know, when you think about marketing skills that are super valuable, everyone lists like there's so many technical skills and there's writing skills, but just the ability to, to listen, to do the, the simple research can be incredibly valuable and go a really, really long way. So tell me a little bit more about the brokers and how you structure your organization to go after the brokers and how that would be different from a traditional enterprise SaaS approach. Yeah. So first of all, I think structuring our organization to understand the broker model. And I kind of joke sometimes that our marketing model and our business model is more like a rideshare company than it is B2B SaaS. And I say that because a rideshare company not only needs to sign up a driver, 
but signing up a driver is not enough. They have to continually work with them and incent them to drive. So we're doing the same with the broker. We need to activate them to be able to sell our coalition's hybrid insurance. And then we need to nurture that relationship as we go. So it's a bit of a different design. We have a team that focuses, when you think about our sales team, we have inside sales that brings brokers in and gets them to that kind of first quote, first bind, and then a business development team that carries them from that first bind into an ongoing relationship with us that hopefully is a happy and healthy one. So our marketing team is also designed to support both pieces. We've got an amazing growth team that's really has been focused on acquisition and doing a ton of interesting experiments to get to the right mix of outbounding, using outbound channels to, to drive interest. A lot of that early on was done with email, and now we're getting a more robust and complete marketing mix of developing an inbound channel, outbound channel. Inside of my marketing team, I also have a a brand team that focuses on high level message and story. We've driven some meaningful changes. Some might call it category creation. It's all about getting really good at your positioning and then scaling that out to, to understand how to communicate that differentiation. We've got a product marketing team. I'm a reformed product marketer. I think they drive a lot of the strategy. So they for better or worse, have to spend a lot of time with me, but they're really skilled and and wonderful. And then as our online presence becomes a bigger part of of what we do and scales up, we have a digital and demand team as well. So we're running, we're doing a lot more on the digital side to drive inbound interest specifically for brokers, but also for potential small businesses and policyholders as well. So I think all those pieces work together and depending on the time and the quarter and where we are managing our funnel, we're, we're turning on and off resources across those different groups. Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three tactics that are your uncuttable budget items to try to get those brokers fired up about uh, doing business with the coalition? So first I'll say we're in an interesting time and as we watch the economy go through shifts and changes and business approaches go through shifts and changes. I wouldn't put anything off the table from being cut. Anything can be cut as buyer preferences change. When I think about our most effective tactics right now, we've really focused in on a few things. One, we do a ton, again, with outbounding to our brokers. We're perhaps spoiled in that many brokers are are registered in in their states and they share a lot of information publicly because they are salespeople. And so taking advantage of data that's already out there is an incredible resource for us to get to know where those brokers are and what they need. We've done a lot. I mentioned some of the work we've done on the brand and the category creation side. I think that's a major investment for us in an industry where a lot of a lot of insurance products are commoditized and the differentiation isn't clear. Helping us tell the story of our differentiation through a number of different channels. A number of them are kind of paid social, also our organic social channels as well. Primarily LinkedIn has been incredible. If you know who your audience is, not just by demographic, but actually who they are and you have their email information, you can be incredibly targeted. That's been critical for us as well. And then I mentioned just getting out and spending time with brokers because there's so much involved in long-term relationships with those brokers. We drive a a number of different retention activities. Some of those are events-driven when we can. And as we figure out the path forward out of lockdown, I think spending time strengthening those relationships in person remains kind of critical. But we also do simple things, webinars and others that allow us to engage with those brokers on a regular basis and keep up relationships. So there, there is nothing sacred that we wouldn't cut if we felt that broker preferences change and finding a way to stay on top of what's working and what's not working is critical for us. 
Yeah, it, I'm curious about from a content piece and what they're engaging with, because obviously cybersecurity is so critical to you all. How concerned are they with running their orgs versus cybersecurity? How do you break down the type of, of content and things that you're creating in webinars and events and things like that? So it's interesting to do a split across three categories. One is thought leadership or driving some understanding of category differentiation as we try to change people's minds or guide them down a new path. So we have that kind of umbrella work that we do around active insurance and reimagining your role as a broker. So we're investing at a high level. Then there's activities that are all about how to understanding the opportunity and how to do your job better. So we call it becoming a cyber savvy broker. And part of that is what's the what's the monetary value of being a cyber savvy broker, getting smart about helping your customers see the value in cyber. And I think the cyber savvy broker work that we're doing has been super valuable as we think through the broker experience and the broker journey of getting smart on technical subjects where you may not have a lot of technical background and expertise. So spending time helping them get more educated has been a key pillar for us. And we always say like the best marketing provides value before you ask for value. So the idea is we want to help brokers get smart about cyber. If they use that to, to position and sell coalition, wonderful. If they use it to do something else and sell another competitor, that's the cost of doing business. And we think that's great too. I think that'll, that that rising tide will float everyone's boat, including our own. So we're driving those types of activities as well. Other types of work and campaigns that are really important for us are just, you know, as we get lower down the funnel, just explaining the, the product, the how-to, how to use our product. What's interesting about Coalition is we have a broker experience and broker dashboards where you can get access to not only all the quotes and potential claims that you might be processing, but also things like a risk assessment for every potential customer. So think of it as a selling aid. If you can go to a customer and say to them, here's your personalized risk assessment, rather than we think you have a cyber risk, that can be a really effective tool. So helping brokers understand that, get into the experience, use that as, as part of their selling process has been really valuable for us as well. I love the cyber savvy. That's great. I think that's a really cool positioning. I'm curious how much of your work is just trying to create either bingeable or little tidbits or things like that, like short form versus like medium form or, or more of those like deep dive type things. Because I'd imagine that a broker is sitting there saying, hey, with 10% of my bandwidth, I need to be learning about stuff. And of that 10%, I don't know, 0.5% is going to be getting cyber savvy, for example, or maybe they don't even know that. And then this is their first foray into it. So how do you think about creating that cyber savvy content? Yeah, as is a challenge for every marketer, how you balance your audience and their level of not just knowledge about your product, but just their their level of complexity and knowledge about your industry and your offering is something we always think about. And that's true in the broker space as it is in cybersecurity as a whole, where you have just different knowledge levels. So we are off, we're actually operating at two levels. One is welcoming new brokers in, perhaps folks who know that cyber insurance exists, but are perhaps less comfortable selling and making that digestible for yeah. them is something definitely something we think about. And we'll probably 
start with blog posts and think in terms of how do we codify this material as something written, see if there's interest. And there's so much you can do taking that written content and that blog post and spinning it off into a couple little short videos that are easily digestible, perhaps some interviews. If we create a whole set of blog posts that we like that can live together as a series, compiling those into a larger downloadable asset, which can actually drive leads for us. And then there are actually, we do have a number of brokers who are really smart on cyber, wholesale brokers who spend all their time on that. So we also have to kind of continue to show our cyber chops and cyber differentiation. What's also amazing about Coalition is like almost half of our company has a technical background and is working on either as a software developer, security expert, security engineer, incident response team, et cetera. So we, we also want to show off our deep expertise and knowledge. So we're generating some of that short snackable content for people who are perhaps new. We also have some of the more advanced people where we're pushing out, you know, what you need to know about the log4j vulnerability so we can act as an expert and resource for them as well. So we have to work on two different paths. I think a lot of marketers kind of grapple with, hey, I've got either different audiences or audiences at different levels of complexity. And oftentimes the answer is not have to pick one or the other. It's do a little bit of both. Yeah, I think one of the things you said is really fascinating to me about this idea of comfort level, that when you're using channel sales, they have to be really comfortable to be able to talk about it, because otherwise, they're never going to sell, right? No matter if everybody's beating down their door to want cybersecurity insurance, sure, they're going to be able to get smart on it. But the, the savvy person who says, hey, I just saw this ad for this webinar that's like everything you need to know about cyber insurance or everything a broker needs to know, like one-on-one level, you can get them to the level of comfort where they say, I can do this. Like, this is something I can make a concerted effort for. And then to be able to share that content with their customers, right? I mean, that's the other piece is like getting them smart enough to know about it is one thing, but then they want to be able to share that with all the people that they know, say, hey, we're the place to go for that. And I think that the way that you said it of comfort level is a lot more important here than in enterprise sales where the stakeholder or the the internal champion, yeah, I need to get them comfortable to be able to talk about it internally. But at the end of the day, like a bunch of people are going to see our pitch deck, a bunch of people are going to do this. They don't need to necessarily be fluent in the solution. Whereas for you, for the channels, they, they have to be pretty pretty darn fluent. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the savvy product marketers or, or others who may be listening might say, hey, a lot of his work sounds like just more intense sales enablement. And so if you wonder, does product marketing actually help you as you go out in your career and other jobs across marketing, whether it's marketing leadership or, or elsewhere? Like I use a lot of tools. I bring a lot of tools out of my sales enablement playbook because essentially the, the channel reps are there are salespeople, only it's more complicated yeah. because they're not inside and they could choose tomorrow to sell someone else's product instead of our product. Yeah. So we use a ton of great tools from sales enablement and the things I've learned over my career in marketing to help make sure they're empowered, that they have the resources that, that, that they need to really be impactful on our behalf and hopefully see the value in, in what they're selling and what we've created. I'm curious, how do you view your website? You have two. So you have coalitioning.com and then you also have control.coalitioning.com. Com. How do you view those two websites? How do you view websites in general? Yeah. So when, when I joined the company, I would say the website was not a meaningful contributor of, of leads for us in Pipeline. And for us, of course, we think of mostly about those leads as broker leads, getting them signed up and activated. So we did a nice retooling of our web experience, really designed around 
those brokers to help tell the story for them, to help highlight our differentiation. And again, when we talk about active insurance as a differentiated product offering, we try to break that down for brokers, both from the technology under the hood that you might never see, but that just plays out in the risk alerts. The thing you might only see is an email, but the complex work that happens underneath a security alert email is, is pretty astounding to do, to not just run a scan of our policyholders or potential customers, but also to, to output, like to, to analyze the data from that scan and cross-reference it to potential vulnerabilities, as well as with data that we have that's proprietary, claims data, incident response data to create a risk level. So telling that story has been really important to us. We've really been focused on my team jokes and Steve Ballmer style. If you see any of his old, his old keynote where he got up and talked about developers and screamed on stage, I've done the same thing around brokers to really focus this on our audience in the near term. Get the broker journey right, figure out how to optimize for broker onboarding and, and broker activation after education. So the journey goes quickly from education about active insurance to potentially some resources we have on offer, whether it's a, an ebook on active insurance and what it means or our cyber claims report, and then give them the opportunity to get activated or get appointed, which is really key for us. Control is different. What's, what's interesting, complex, some days infuriating, but mostly fun, is that we're also offering a free product and tool to small businesses, right? And you don't have to necessarily access that tool via brokers. So anyone can get their free cyber risk assessment. Control's a related domain that you can access from our homepage or direct go direct to control.coalitioninc.com. And so essentially, we've, we're slowly creating bifurcated experiences for the broker and for small businesses or potential policyholders. And I think we're still in early days. We've, we fully optimize for the broker now. I think we're getting better and more measured about that journey. But we're also slowly stepping into the policyholder space, or at least the small business space, not because we're trying to sell the insurance direct to the policyholder, but we're just trying to provide them the tools to keep their business safe and understand the value of the, the security capabilities we offer. So it's a bit of a split audience. I think for a marketer, that's actually a, one of the more difficult challenges you'll face is how do we create an ecosystem around this where you need a healthy ecosystem of demand from the broker and from the policyholder. And that's something something that we work on regularly and debate within our organization. Let's switch gears to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Dylan, have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? Oh, man. Well, I would say a, a healthy company in general is a marketplace for ideas. And I think it needs to be a place for debate and a place where you can approach them constructively and align on goals. So I'll say, like, I encourage debate and conversation within my own team. And, like, we get into healthy conversations, I think, all the time especially when there's so much unknowns, either you're doing something that's never been done before, or you're taking a new approach to a market that might be channel sales, whatever it may be, or you're debating, I'll tell you, things like category and positioning are sometimes the hardest challenges for marketing and marketing leaders to navigate. Because essentially it becomes a conversation of opinions without a lot of fact. And so I absolutely, I've been in those conversations at every job I've ever had. There's a combination of like how to pull the right data 
to get some kind of insights, not just from your company, but also your customers or prospective customers. They won't tell you when you're right, but they'll tell you when you're way off and you're wrong. Then there's a little bit of building internal support. And oftentimes that support comes from other leaders across the organization. And then ultimately figuring out who has to either decide and push us to decision or disagree and commit. And I would say in every big marketing positioning and category conversation because it's so subjective. There's always someone who has to be the disagreeing committer. I've been that person before who said, I don't know if this is the idea, but if this is the way we're marching, let's go. So you have to create that space to have the debate, but you also have to be able to drive to decision. I'm very lucky in coalition, you know, as with the launch of active insurance, which could have been a bit controversial, getting to a good place and a good understanding with our executive team of the goals we were trying to accomplish the ways in which we are trying to do it, setting the stage that we will not be fully factually accurate and exact technically to every specification, which is sometimes a trap that marketers fall in when they're trying to create high-level positioning, is nailing everything to a technically specific detail. You need to set the stage with your high-level language and then dive into the supporting technical uh, explanation and documentation. So we were able to get those foundational elements decided early on. And ultimately, a decision like that comes either the CMO or the CEO hopefully in partnership. And that's something that, that we drove successfully at Coalition. But I'll say in previous jobs, hasn't always been so easy. Disagree and commit model is sometimes a good one to help a team navigate a sticky, a sticky decision. Positioning always, always brutal. It's where you got to have the data. Everybody's talking about data for everything, but you really got to have like, well, this is what our customers physically say. You know, This is what people are searching for on the internet. And this is where we believe the future is headed. I, I like to say that marketing and HR often have the hardest jobs because they their job is to work with people and deal with people and do things for people. And we are all people. So we all have opinions on how those things should work and how they should resonate with us. You're right that you should have data. Data can get you really helpful insights and tell you if you're way off base, but Sometimes the magic is figuring out the combination of what your customer says they want, what's aligned to their value, how much you have to shift their perception and change their mindset of what your product can be and can do, and then find the sweet spot with a little bit of hopefully someone who has some messaging and positioning experience as well as some writing experience. So I will say data purely as your guide, data will get you perhaps 60% of the way there, but there are a number of additional steps that you need to take into consideration as well. Let's get into our quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how quickly you can talk to someone on qualified.com. We love qualified. They are our just amazing partner for the show, and they have been since the very beginning. Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with qualified, quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Dylan, are you ready? Let's do it. Number one, what is a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Uh, I grew up in Colorado, so spending out time outdoors was kind of de rigueur. So I was a, a big snowboarder for a very, very long time and have tried to keep it up. COVID made it a little harder, but I spend a lot of time on the hill when I can. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've been recently checking out? I mean, I've really loved watching all the the recent we crashed and the Theranos and super pumped just seeing the, the dark side of what can happen when we pump up too many folks with perhaps too much VC money. I've really enjoyed those. And I think they are both an enjoyable to watch and perhaps a cautionary tale for, for folks as they navigate the business reality right now. 
Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that sort of maybe kind of indirectly makes you a better marketer? Beyond the basics of continually reading and writing all the time, I'll say travel is always wonderful. I, I mentioned, I think, at the top of the show, I studied anthropology before I ended up in the marketing world and studied journalism. So the, the ability to travel and make connections and kind of open yourself up to new ideas around the world is super critical to be able to make those connections with people. And at the end of the day, that's what marketers are tasked with doing is building connections. So it's always good to get out of your home, especially now that we all work and live and sleep and eat in the same four walls. Do you have a favorite marketing campaign that you've run recently or over the years? Well, I'm biased in that I've been thinking all in coalition terms and active insurance terms, which I've been pretty proud of the transformation we've been trying to drive. We, we, we held a huge launch event at the beginning of March, and it was fun. We got to do everything from actually have some people in person at, at an insurance industry event in, in New York City. But we also got to engage some celebrity folks. So we had Eli Manning come to our live event in New York City. We did a, a live webcast, active webcast with Brendan Hunt, known as Coach Beard from Ted Lasso. So sorry, you won't find that out in the web because it was a one-time use. But the ability to tell that active story was a really fun one for us to lean into. And I think there's a lot more still we can do with it to change perceptions in a legacy industry. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? If I wasn't in marketing, well, I mentioned I'd, I'd run some political campaigns in the past. And while I think it's less about working on the politics side, but more perhaps in public service, I do think about my career in multiple chapters and my journey. And there was a public service journey. The marketing and private sector journey has been quite fun. I'd love to find myself back in public service in the future. I think a lot of our doesn't have to be at the national level. I know it can be polarizing at the national level, but in our local communities and our local towns, there's a lot of impact that, that I think people can have. So I probably find myself back in the, in the public sector or perhaps doing some writing or, or journalism for a local community as well, which is perhaps another underserved part of our national conversation and our world right now is just great local journalism as everything's been consolidated and moved to the national sphere. So hopefully that's not too polarizing for folks, but that's where I'd, I'd see myself spending my time in that next chapter. Not polarizing at all. I think that's right. We need great people doing that work. Um, Absolutely. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their demand gen strategy? I would say, I've mentioned spending some time getting to know your customers and understanding them and their journey. It's very easy to get caught up in the data of why things are working and the data is critical, right? You need to be informed by why things are working, but sometimes it's not clear the short-term or long-term trade-offs you are making. You may have created a really successful campaign that's driven a lot of short-term interest, but what is that doing to your long-term brand perception, relationships with customers, et cetera, depending on the tactics you've used? So spending time getting to know customers or your prospective customers meeting with them, finding a way to build a bit of a relationship, those relationships always pay off. And I'll say that's probably something that's been instilled in me from the Salesforce days is just spending time with customers and prospects, understanding who they are, what their needs are, that will never lead you astray. So I would highly encourage you to get out, spend some time with the folks who are important to you. And that will, at the very least, just inform the messaging, the positioning, and the tactics you decide to use as a marketer going forward. Dylan, any final thoughts, anything to plug? No, I'm super thankful for being a part of the podcast with you and getting a chance to reconnect again. We already mentioned all the fun stuff you can do with Coalition. So if you are a small business and you're trying to figure out help, go to control.coalitioninc.com. You can hop on there and get a, a risk assessment. 
and talk to your broker if you think you need a little bit of coverage. We're happy to to help with that too. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk. Yeah, thanks so much, Dylan. We really appreciate it and take care. Man Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.